Hey everybody, welcome to the More Than a Test Score podcast. I'm your host, Keith Greiser, and on this show we'll be talking about education, motivation, and inspiration. The stories from the classroom and the schools that go beyond a test score because no one score can ever quantify what really happens in a schoolhouse. Welcome to the More Than a Test Score podcast. I'm your host, Keith Greiser. And in this episode, I'm going to be introducing you to my favorite all-time motivational speaker. He also happens to be my dad. Gary Greiser was the assistant superintendent of Boone County Schools when I was growing up, but he had a side gig. He went around to all kinds of places doing motivational speaking for opening days all over the state of Kentucky. And as that expanded, he ended up speaking in 47 of our 50 United States. He spoke to administrative teams, he spoke to different school districts, but he also expanded his business where he was speaking to custodial conferences and food service conferences all over the country. I had the privilege of going with him and being his merch table guy. Yep, I would sell his CDs and it started out as albums and even eight tracks way back when. But every now and then he would bring me up to the stage and let me sing a song with him and man, that was cool. How could I not have a positive attitude growing up with a motivational speaker as a dad? And I want to share some of his stories with you today. I hope you enjoy this podcast, My Dad's IQ. Nineteen sixty-two. Where were you in sixty-two? I was a senior in high school, Boone County High School. Florence, Kentucky. Anybody here from the class of 62 from anywhere in the world? It was a good year. Maybe we'll have to get together at the water fountain and have a little reunion when this program is over. (laughs) I don't know how it was in your school in the 60s, but in my school in the 60s, it was taboo for a kid to ever know what was in his cumulative folder. We used to take all of these tests, IQ tests and achievement tests, and teachers back in the 60s would dutifully record all of the results in our cumulative folder. I was a curious kid, and I always wanted to know what my IQ score was. But teachers in the 60s would walk around with those cumulative folders clutched to their bosom so no kid could ever get a peek. I recall sitting in honors English class one day. Mrs. McCollum was sitting at her desk working on the cumulative folders. The principal's office called over the intercom and said, Mrs. McCollum, would you come to the office, please? And off she went, and she left the folders exposed on her desk. Naturally, being all the good little kids in honors English class, we immediately pounced on her desk and grabbed our respective folder. I began reading feverishly, turned to the test score section, and found the number 128. I thought, wow, not bad, above average. And about that time, somebody said, here she comes. And all the folders went back into a nice, neat stack. Well, I began thinking about that. I thought I'm doing pretty good in school, but I'm not doing 128 stuff. So I decided to take it up a notch. My study habits improved. My grades got better. My attendance improved. My look stayed the same. (laughs) Several years later, after finishing high school, going on to college, getting my degree in school administration, I became the assistant principal at Boone County High School in Florence, Kentucky. 
I learned that it's perfectly legal for the assistant principal in charge of discipline to have access to the cumulative folders. And so my first day on the job, I went to the records room, pulled out the Gary Greiser folder, sat down and read it carefully from one end to the other. It was then that I realized that 128 was my homeroom number in the ninth grade. <laughs> but you see, I thought I was a 128, and I believe I became a 128. You see, I believe we become what we think we are, and many of us become what others expect us to be. And in this profession of education, how important it is that we have high expectations for those people we work with and those children we work with, because many of them will rise to the level of expectation that you have for them. For years, I've been telling my colleagues in Kentucky that we need to teach kids to dream. My colleagues tell me, Greiser, you don't need to teach kids to dream these days. They fall asleep on their own now. Oh, I'm not talking about that kind of dreaming. I'm talking about having goals and ambitions, things to do and to be. Think with me a few minutes about some dreamers. Jimmy Valvano. Jimmy Valvano was a very successful college basketball coach. He died of cancer a few years ago. They began looking to see what did he do from year after year to be so successful in the college basketball scene. They found that he took his team out onto the floor. First day of practice, before the first ball was bounced on the hardwood, Valvana would take his team under the basket and ask someone to bring a ladder. Each member of the team was instructed to take their turn climbing the ladder, taking a pair of scissors and cutting one string of the net. Each player took their turn climbing the ladder, cutting one string of the net. The net came down and practice began. Second day of practice, same routine, new net. Everybody took their turn climbing the ladder, cutting down the net. Day after day, they began practice by cutting down the net. What was he doing? He was planting in their mind a picture of what he wanted them to be doing on the last game of the year when the gym was filled with screaming fans and the championship was on the line. All they had to do was play well enough to climb the ladder. And I'm told that they look very polished and professional year after year as they climbed the ladder, cutting down the net after the championship game. Stephen Covey has written a wonderful book entitled The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Habit number two says to begin with the end in mind. See what it is you want to do or be before you start and then simply walk to getting it done. Nothing new about this stuff, even in the Old Testament of the Bible. There's a verse that says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Martin Luther King Jr. told the world, I have a dream. He's been dead over 30 years, but I would say that everybody in this room knows something about his dream. You see, first of all, he had a dream. And second of all, I believe he listened to the dreams of those around him. And third, I believe he took the advice of a guy named Robert Fulgham, who wrote the little book, Everything I Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten, where he said he learned in kindergarten to hold hands and stick together. Great advice for kindergartners. Wonderful advice for adults. I believe Martin Luther King Jr. held hands and stuck together with a whole lot of people who shared his dream. And his dream lives on 
today. Do you have a dream? Does anybody know anything about your dreams? Have you taken time to tell someone else what your dreams are? And have you taken time to listen to the dreams of those people around you? What about the person who teaches next door to you? Do they know anything about your dream or do you know anything about theirs? What about the people who live under your own roof at home? Do they know anything about your dream or do you know anything about theirs? I would encourage you to take time to share your dreams with others. Listen to the dreams of those around you. And I would challenge you this school year to take time to get to know the dreams in the mind of one child and take the advice of Robert Fulgham. Hold hands and stick together with that one child and do everything you can to make that child's dreams come true. It will change your life and it will change the life of that child. One of the many jobs that I've had was that of elementary school principal. I was excited about being a new elementary school principal. I sent a letter to all of my staff when I learned that I had the appointment. This was back in June. I wasn't going to see them until late August. And so I decided I wanted to get to know them early on. And so I sent a 13-page questionnaire to them over the summer to fill out and send back to me. Didn't make a big impression, 13 pages. And I met with them at the beginning of the year and told them how glad I was to be their principal. And one of the things that I was going to require them to do was to make a home visit. Meet the parents of every child in their home before the end of the first month of school. Mutiny. Nobody wanted to do that. But I thought it was important that the teachers meet the children on their home turf. Meet the parents if there were parents. See the home conditions. And find out what the dreams and ambitions were for those parents, for those children, and for the children themselves. Well, nobody wanted to do that exercise, but we did it anyway. And at the end of the year, we evaluated the merits of that visit. Everybody told me they hated having to do that. But they also told me that it was a worthwhile activity. That they learned much about their students and their parents. And they also found that they changed their teaching techniques. They still followed the curriculum guide, but they changed what they did in teaching the material. And here's the, here's the concept that came out of that for us. When instruction in the classroom touches a dream in the mind of a child, learning is significantly enhanced. The second philosophy that I want to share with you today goes like this. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. After 27 years as a professional educator in the Commonwealth of Kentucky, and I had decided to retire, I began thinking, what is the most profound thing that I have learned in my 27 years as a professional educator? And that is the thought that came to my mind as the most profound thing I have learned in my career as an educator. People don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. I want you to think back to your school days. When you were a student in school, who do you remember most 
My guess is that you remember best those people who cared about you. I remember Jake Long. Jake Long was my bus driver. For 12 years, he pulled up in front of my house in that big yellow bus, opened the door, gave me a big toothless grin, said, good morning, Gary, come on, get on, we've got lots of stops to make. Jake lets you know that it was a privilege to ride the Jake Long bus to school. Even before the days of bus washing machines, on Monday mornings, he had his bus shiny clean that he'd cleaned up on his own time over the weekend. He was proud of his bus. You wouldn't think of leaving trash on Jake's bus. You wouldn't dream of cutting his bus seats. He'd kill you. I remember Jake Long. He cared about me. Leola Pendry, cafeteria manager, Burlington Elementary School, Burlington, Kentucky. Mrs. Pendry had a goal every year before the end of the first week of school. She wanted to learn the names and faces of every child in the school so that at the end of the first week, she could stand at her cafeteria door and welcome you by name to her cafeteria. Good morning, Gary. Nice to see you here today. My staff and I have worked hard this morning to fix you a nice lunch. Hope you enjoy it. Have a great day. Mrs. Pendry, I remember you. You cared about me. Jerry Evans, custodian, Burlington Elementary School, Burlington, Kentucky. Jerry had a unique way of keeping the building clean. You could be sitting in your classroom, minding your own business. Teacher up at the front of the room doing her thing on the board, and Jerry would quietly walk into the room. He didn't knock on the door or anything. He'd just walk quietly into the room, had a paper wad in his hand. He would walk over to your desk, put that paper wad on your desk and say, Gary, found this on the floor, had your name on it, thought it might be important, turn and walk away. <laughs> you see, we were all working for Jerry. But it wasn't unusual at all for Jerry to stop you in the hall and say, hey, Gary, saw you out there on the playground yesterday. Man, that was some hit you had in that baseball game. Keep it up, buddy, and one of these days you'll be a whale of a baseball player. You see, Jerry took time to encourage us. He knew more about us than some of our teachers did. And he cared about me. I remember Jerry Evans. Isabel Cropper, sixth grade teacher, pack rat. <laughs> it would be the end of the year, last day of school. The principal would come on the intercom and say, teachers, today is the last day of school. Please clean out all closets and desks and drawers and pile all the trash in the hall. The custodians will carry it out. Poof, the hall's filled with trash. Where was Mrs. Cropper? Out there in the trash, going through all the stuff in the hall <laughs> and putting things back into her room that she found in the trash. It was amazing what wonderful things she could teach us out of everybody else's trash. She had a unique ability to make everybody in the room feel special and important. And I still don't know how she did it, but it seemed to me that everybody in her classroom succeeded. She was a master teacher. I remember Mrs. Cropper. She cared about me. Now the list could go on and on, and you have your own list. And I encourage you to think about those people who made your list, who cared about you. Now I want you to think back to last school year. 
And I want you to think of the biggest stinker that you had to deal with during last school year. They usually pop really quickly into your mind. Now take the image of that stinker and move it to the back of your mind. We'll come back to the stinker shortly. Now I want you to picture in your mind a boardroom, a nice big room, oak paneling on the, on the walls, nice carpeting on the floor, a big wooden table in the middle of the room, and chairs all around the table. Your name is on the door. This is your personal board of directors room. Now I want you to think of those people who have influenced your life to such an extent that if you had a personal board of directors, you would name these people to sit on your board. As you're mentally filling up these empty chairs with significant people from your past, I want to share with you that sitting around my board table is a mother, a father, a grandmother, a grandfather, several aunts and uncles, a school bus driver, a cafeteria manager, a custodian, two elementary school teachers, a principal, two high school teachers, a guidance counselor, two college professors, a minister, a wife, two sons, and God is chairman of my board. Now you probably have your board in place by now. Let's turn this exercise around. Whose board are you on? What are you doing in the life of anybody to be worthy of an appointment to their board? And I hope immediately popping into your mind are the images of people that you've had in school, friends, relatives, neighbors. Now let's go back to that stinker. Are you on that stinker's board? Is that stinker apt to come up to you in the next 10 or 15 years and say, thanks, you made a difference in my life? Well, let me suggest to you that even as we sit here today, a new crop of stinkers is forming out there, and they're going to show up in your classroom in the next few days. And this year, let me suggest you do something different. Instead of trying to get the stinker transferred out of your class into someone else's class, <laughs> why not work hard to get on their board? Why not hold hands and stick together with them, as Fulgham would say? Why not try to make a difference in their life? I would suggest to you that one of the things that could change your school district and your teaching for the year is for you to make up your mind that you're going to work hard to get on some stinker's board this year. Word of caution, stinkers are not looking for board members. But I would suggest to you that even the stinkers have a great need for some responsible adult to care enough about them to work hard to get on their board and influence their life. I encourage you to take that assignment seriously. The story that I know best that makes the point of caring is the story of Teddy Stollard and Miss Thompson. Teddy was in the fifth grade that year in Miss Thompson's class. It was the first day of school. And Miss Thompson had just finished making her first day of school welcome to my fifth grade class speech. And she told the kids how excited she was about having them in her room and what, a, what wonderful things they were going to do that year, and the school year began. Teddy got off to a slow start. He'd made very little effort. And his papers came back with red marks all over them. And as the year progressed, his papers just got redder and redder. 
Well, Miss Thompson had had kids like Teddy before. She knew he had potential, knew that he had some ability, and she thought she could reach into her bag of tricks and help turn him on to learning. But nothing worked, and try as she might, nothing worked, and the year was rapidly passing by. So she decided to check out his cumulative folder and see what the other teachers had said about him. The first grade teacher had written, Teddy shows promise. He has a poor home situation. The second grade teacher wrote, Teddy could do better. His mother is seriously ill. The third grade teacher wrote, Teddy is a good boy. He is much too serious. His mother died this year. And the fourth grade teacher wrote, Teddy is very slow. He's well behaved. His father shows no interest in him. Well, it was Christmas time, and as was the tradition, all of the kids brought Mrs. Thompson a gift. Most were wrapped in pretty paper and ribbons and placed under the tree. Teddy brought his gift in in a brown paper sack with a little ribbon scotch taped to the top. When the other kids saw him put it under the tree, they kind of snickered at his gift. You know how they can be. Later in the day, Mrs. Thompson began opening the gifts, and she opened several, and then she came to Teddy's. She reached into the sack and pulled out a, a kind of a gaudy rhinestone bracelet with several stones missing. Not wanting to hurt his feelings at all, she put the bracelet on and held it up for everybody to see and thank Teddy for his nice gift. She reached back into the sack and pulled out a little bottle of perfume, half empty. And again, not wanting to hurt his feelings, she put some of it on her wrist and held it out for the kids up close to smell and thanked Teddy for his kindness. She opened the rest of the gifts. They had their refreshments. The day came to an end, and everybody went home. And we find Teddy and Miss Thompson left alone in the room. Teddy kind of sheepishly made his way over to Miss Thompson's desk and said, Miss Thompson, you know that bracelet? It was my mom's, and it sure looks nice on you. And Miss Thompson, you, you know that perfume? It was my mom's and it sure smells nice on you. Miss Thompson said she went home for Christmas that year and she could not get Teddy Stollard out of her mind. She kept thinking, I know this child has potential. I know he can learn. And she made up her mind to do all that she could, second semester, to help Teddy be successful. I believe that Teddy sensed her caring spirit as the new school semester began. And he began responding. The red marks started fading away from his papers, and before long the red marks were gone. And by the time the year came to an end, Teddy had caught up with his class and was ready for sixth grade. Miss Thompson made sure that the sixth grade teachers knew about Teddy, what worked and what didn't. And she kept an eye on him as he went on through middle school and high school, and then one day she got a letter. Dear Miss Thompson, high school has been difficult, but I'm graduating this week second in my class. Just thought you'd like to know. Thanks. Love, Teddy. A few more years go by and another letter. Dear Miss Thompson, the university has been difficult, but I'm graduating this week with honors. Just thought you'd like to know. Thanks. Love, Teddy. A few more years and one more letter. That's right, Miss Thompson. Teddy Stollard, M.D., I'm a doctor now, and I've met a beautiful young lady, and we're to be married in a few months, 
And it would please us both greatly if you would come to our wedding and sit where my mom would have sat. Miss Thompson said she went to Teddy's wedding and she sat where Teddy's mom would have sat and she experienced joy like she had never known. Because you see, she had taken a risk and given more of herself to another human being than ever before in her life and it paid dividends far greater than anything she ever took to the bank on payday. You see, people don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. Man, I sure love to hear my dad speak, and those two speech segments are two of my favorites that he ever did. I hope they inspired you. I hope they reminded you of your why, why you became an educator in the first place. And I hope that they were refreshing to you because in this time of coronavirus and all of the operational issues that are coming along with that, I hope that you are reminded of the importance of making connections with kids and the long-term effects that that can have on the students that we are entrusted with every day. I love that he mentions a cafeteria manager. I love that he mentions the profound impact that a custodian had on him and his bus driver. But I also love that my dad was a stinker. You remember back when he found out what his IQ score really was, by pouncing on the cumulative folders when his teacher turned her back. And then, not only was he mischievous when he was a freshman in high school, he carried that mischievousness all the way until he became a principal in the school district and went to find his own cumulative file to open up and find out that what he thought was his score was really not his score. I love that he became what he thought his score was. If anything, anything, anything points out that kids are more than a test score, it's that they'll become what we expect them to become the vast majority of the time. We must maintain high expectations for our kids. There's one more thing I want to share with you before we end this podcast. I told you my dad was called the singing educator. He has this magnificent baritone voice that is so rich uh, that that uh, everyone just loves to hear him sing. And he would end each segment of his speeches with a song that kind of tied it all together. And so the song he would use for the Teddy Stollard storytelling time was Thank God for Kids. And many of you have heard that Oak, Roy, Oak Ridge Boys sing that song. I also told you that every now and then my dad would let me come up and sing with him on the stage and that how cool I thought that was. Well, on this song, my brother, Kevin, who was about eight at the time of this recording, and myself, uh, I was about 12 years old at the time of this recording, and he asked us to go to the recording studio with him to record this song for his Great Opportunities CD, and uh, what a cool thing that was to do. So I hope you enjoy, and I hope this ties it all together. Thank God for kids.
Thank God for kids, there's magic for a while. A special kind of sunshine and a smile. Do you ever stop to think or wonder why? The dearest thing to heaven is a child. Daddy, how does this thing fly? And a hundred other ways and wise. You really don't know, but you try. Thank God for kids. When you look down in those trusting eyes that look to you, you realize there's a love that you can buy. Thank God for kids. Thank God for kids. There's magic for a while. A special kind of sunshine in a smile. Do you ever stop to think or wonder Thanks for joining me today on the More Than a Test Score podcast. I'm your host, Keith Greiser, and I hope that you will share and subscribe to this podcast. But most of all, I hope that you know, no matter what anybody says, you are more than a test score.